Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Welcome. If uh, we haven't met, I would love to meet you. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, we are starting this new teaching series called Pinched. Pinched. Uh, Let's look at this here. What is it called? Finding peace when money is tight and things are uncertain. Does that feel relevant to anyone in the house this morning? No. Okay, two people are honest. Welcome. Welcome the honest people. Good to have you guys here. Well, we're looking at this and we're looking at some uh, different scriptural passages that speak to like anxiety and worry about money and like what is enough and then comparison and financial wisdom. And we're going to be over the next four weeks on this journey together, trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus when times are uncertain and money might feel on shorter supply than we would wish. And today we're uh, calling this teaching today, we're calling it the problem of enough, the problem of enough. And because, you know, we're starting into this topic that is, you know, like low grade, vulnerable, you know, step on maybe some toes, touch some nerves, whatever. I think it's totally appropriate that I just begin with this big fat confession, pastoral confession. Is anybody nervous right now? What is he going to say? Anybody excited? Anybody excited? All right. So this is big. It's going to be revelatory. You know, I'm sure the Tacoma News Tribune is going to cover it after I share this. Um, I have a problem with ice cream. Anybody with me on that? Does anyone else have a, a problem with ice cream? No, come on, let's raise your hand. Does anyone like, you know, love? So here's, the, here's what I mean when I say ice cream. Some of you are like, I don't have a problem with it. I love it. There, what's the problem, you know? But like, here's the thing. Like when there's ice cream in the freezer, like, like my family is, when they're not in the kitchen, I go into the freezer and I like, I bring out the ice cream and I just think like, why use a bowl? I want to be more eco-friendly, use less water in the, you know, I'm just, so I'm just going to put the spoon right in there and why waste a bowl? Why, why would that, you know, it's more, more utilities and it takes more time. So like fastest method, grab the spoon, grab a big old spoon and then just bring it in there. And then about like five bites into it, I will typically say, um, you know, all right, three more bites. You know, it's like, because one more bite, I think we all would probably agree. It's like one more, we're clear. We don't know what enough is. It's very uncertain. Like what is enough? And you know, one more bite is not enough. And so you think probably I'll get there in three bites because I've got a very large spoon and, and I can and like, I can kind of like figure out how much I want on there. And so three bites in, certainly we will get to that point. But it, I get to three bites and I'm like, hmm, probably another, probably another three this is, yeah, and, um, and if somebody has walked in the kitchen, I casually, maybe then I reach for the bowl. And then I'm like, oh, well, now I'm, now I'm filling a whole bowl. Um, but the whole premise is, is like, I, I actually don't, I'm not quite sure what enough is when it comes to ice cream. I could continue to eat the whole thing. I don't know. Am I alone? Is that, am I like, is this, like, help me understand. Is this like an only Brian thing? Or raise your hand. Can we get some, we got some, all right. Can we just clap for the honest people in this place? We need to clap. Put some hands together. Use your body. Come on. Let's clap for some honest people and some people that are making me feel normal. Thank you, people. Uh, But this is uh, the problem of enough, and it shows up in a lot of different spaces. 
The problem enough is illustrated by that line by the potato chip company, bet you can't eat just one. Remember that? Do you guys remember that? Bet you can't eat just one. It's like a gauntlet thrown down to people that like are really competitive. And me, I'm like, well, you think I can only eat one? Well, I'm, I'm going to show, I'm going to, I'm just going to make sure I'm going to prove it to you. Company that doesn't care about my existence. You know, I'm going to prove it to you. And then you get there and you're like, I'm just going to eat one. And then you find yourself reaching your hand. You might not even like them that much, but somehow you're reaching your hand in again. Do you know what I'm saying? It is like they figured out like the blend of fat content and salt to just keep your hand going in there. They've hacked your mind. How have they done that? We just can't eat just one. We are not sure what enough is. But then like in a more serious note, we've all probably heard this phrase, he doesn't know how much is enough, Right? He doesn't know how to turn off the drinking. He doesn't know how much is enough. This question of like, what is enough shows up in levity moments around ice cream, but also more serious moments around like things that affect other people, the consumption of alcohol. And it happens with money too. I remember when Candace and I were newly married, uh, we lived in a, like a 200 square foot apartment. Um, man, the great thing about that was like, you know, you could, it was very easy to get one, to run one place to the next, you know, like I'm in the bedroom and I'm in the kitchen. I'm in both rooms. Like, it's like a magic trick. How did I do that? And uh, ice cream, bed, what else do you need? You know, there it is. It's problem solved. All of life's problems have been solved. But like, it was, it's interesting looking back, the level of contentment that we experienced there. We were never like, oh, I can't wait to get to the, you know, the next stage. It was like, we were pretty good as we were, but things change and enough changes. And part of that is normal and necessary. Kids need bedrooms. You know, you acquire more things. You need some storage. Some of that is notable and normal, but then it kind of begs the question, well, like, well, then how much is enough? What, where, where do we find contentment? Where is it? It seems like kind of an elusive thing that if we were to check it off, it seems like it may adjust within time. What's interesting, you know, like this question of like what enough is, it's not new to humanity. It actually goes back all the way to the very first story of the original human pair where Adam and Eve are put in this garden where there is so much more than enough. It's like abundance. There is so much there in this garden and God's like, have free Rain, have a party, eat some awesome organic mangoes that have never been touched by any pesticides and eat some awesome ice cream because I'm sure that was of course there as well. Eat all of it, have fun. I'm not putting you on a Spartan budget. I'm giving you license to raid the original supermarket. You can just go everywhere, have lots of fun, you too. And then they're like, but just, you know, God's like, but just don't do this one over here. But everything else is so great. And they're like, let's grab that. You know, like the question of how much of enough was with us in the very beginning. It's actually written into our soul, the reaching for the thing we don't need, but we really want. And it's not an indictment on wants, but it's just this question that we have to think about. Like what is enough? What is enough? Well, the 
challenge of enough is not only something that we experience when we have abundance. It also is something that we experience when we have limited stuff in seasons of scarcity. We can fixate on what we don't have and miss out on what we do have and create this anxiety worry dilemma where we're trying to reach for what we don't have and we're kept from experiencing the peace of what we do have. The question of enough, the challenge of enough, it shows up in abundance. It shows, shows up in scarcity. In fact, this is what we're talking about today the problem or the challenge of enough. And we're gonna be looking at the problem of abundance in detail, the problem of scarcity in detail, and then ultimately the way of freedom. How are we doing? Are we excited? How are we doing? We're we looking forward to this? The way of freedom, yeah. Um, before we do that, I wanna read some words from, the, uh, from Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and we're gonna be starting in verse 13. We're gonna be reading a large passage of scripture, um, 13 to 34. So if you have a, the ability to read, your, uh, read or open a Bible, whether app or paper, I would encourage you to do that. It gives you like access to the original story, but it's also gonna be up on the screen. So let's just start into this. And Jesus is teaching in the crowds. And then verse 13, it picks up. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Bold move. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And this is where the guy starts to shrink back. He starts to slowly walk away. Oh, he's kind of indicting me. And he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Note that, for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. Then it's important to note, he's talking to the crowd, but now he's shifting, he's talking to the disciples. Verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, he's turning aside, he's talking to them, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them, and how much more valuable um, you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Then do not set your heart on that which you on what you will eat and drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. 
Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, first point, the problem of abundance, the problem of abundance. And some of you, if you're like me, you're like the problem of abundance. I don't have no problems with, abund- with abundance. In fact, I could, and maybe some of us like, I could deal with that problem. I'm having other problems, but, but could somebody bless me with the problem of abundance right now in my life? In the name of Jesus, amen, yes, and fine, okay. So that's some of us are like, what's the problem with abundance? But here's the thing. The problem with abundance is the potential for greed. You see, abundance is not, a, is not, a, is not there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem of abundance written into the problem of abundance is the potential for holding on in a craven way to, to, to possessions and, and, and sinking into this thing that the Bible calls greed. Now, here's what uh, William Barclay, a Bible commentator, calls greed. He calls greed, he says, greed is the accursed love of having. Is having something is having something bad? Absolutely not. Is uh, saving up for something you really want bad? Absolutely not. Is getting something that you just enjoy and you like a bad? Absolutely not. But what greed is, is the love of having. Do you get that? And he goes on, he says, greed, this will pers- pursue its own interests and com- with complete disregard for the rights of others and even for the considerations of common humanity. Greed suffocates your soul. It steals your humanity and replaces it with a knockoff version of humanity. It it has to have for has to have's sake. Do you hear that? Do you see that? And there's a couple things that... um, We'll look at that greed does, and we'll look into the text and that we just read in a little bit closer detail. Um, but as we're thinking about it, like this guy who walks up to Jesus, as Jesus is, he's teaching and he's talking, he's talking about the kingdom, he's talking about like, you know, where, what meaning looks like and what it looks like to be in relationship with God and how to live well he's, and how to live a life of love. He's talking about all these things and this guy steps into this and he says, hey, 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 everybody shut up, shut up. Hey, you over there, shut up. Hey, teacher. Tell my brother that, he, that, that all the inheritance should just come to me. And everybody's like looking at this guy like, dude, whoa, all right. Um, uh, it was interesting, you know, like in the first century, people would come up to rabbis and they would like ask for decisions on family disputes. But typically they would say like, hey, could you help our family understand what the right decision is? Could you give us an unbiased, just decision? And this guy's doing something different. He's actually asking for a biased decision. He's asking for an unjust decision. He's like, hey, tell my brother that he shouldn't get any of the money. Tell, tell him it's all coming to me, right? So it indicates kind of something about the heart of this person that is talking to Jesus and telling the crowd to shut up. And it's interesting, like the fact that he has an inheritance is probably signals that he already has means and so he's just wanting more. And so Jesus detecting the heart uh, begins to uh, step into a parable. I'll read it again here just so we can have that fresh in our mind. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Take note when I'm reading this of the repetition of I and my. 
Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Two things we learn from this passage of what greed does. And the first is that greed blinds us. You may have noticed, since I cued you into it, the repetition of I and my in this passage. There's this focus deep inward about what this guy wants for his own interest, which is like not bad. It's not bad to splurge. It's not bad to get something that you want. But if you see something of the heart disposition of this person, he's, he's presumably he has neighbors. Presumably he has family. Presumably he has like other people in his life, but like he's only talking to himself about things that he wants for himself. So it reveals kind of like what's actually happening on a heart level. He is blinded to everyone around him and that's what greed does. Greed blinds you to others, first of all. But it not only blinds you to others, greed also blinds you from God. It's interesting, at the end of this parable, it's like God steps in and you almost get this vision of like God knocking, breaking down a door and he has this exclamation of, he's like, you fool, right? Wow, God coming off the top rope on this guy. You fool. It's almost like he's like, hey, wake up. Be alert, come on, get a grip. Get out of this kind of inverted sense of self-focus because God blinds us not only from others, but blinds us to God. This is what greed does. And it takes God yelling and screaming, hey, wake up for this guy to kind of become aware of others outside of himself, others and God included. Third thing is it, we find out that it blinds us to our limits, to ourselves. You see, this guy is like, come to the conclusion or maybe he's forgetting that his life expect or his life has an expiration point that there is an ending on his life and he's living without regard to that and so what that's why god says what are you going to do with all the stuff you heaped up for yourself a lot of people that have means that live with the end in mind think legacy how can i pass on what i have to future generations or to people that are in need that's living when you have means or when you have abundance that's living knowing that you have an expiration date but but what greed does is it blinds you to that and it brings you so deep down into yourself that you can't see others you can't see god and you can't and you can't even see yourself that you have these limits like life and death and should be living with awareness of that stuff. This is what greed does. Second, just very simply, greed actually never delivers on its promise. The desire for reaching for more and grabbing after more ends up just kind of continuing to be this spiral because he builds a bigger barn. And so if it happens again that he has a bumper harvest, he just has to build a bigger barn so he can get more, eat, drink, more, be merry stuff. And it keeps on being this cycle where it's just never really delivering on what we really need. You could say we live, many people that live in this kind of greed mentality, um, you know, live in this consumerism cynicism cycle. We think, oh, the next thing will get me what I want. We realize it lets us down. So we reach for the next thing and we keep living in this cul-de-sac that's propelled by more and propelled by acquisition, propelled by accumulation. 
Jesus, as we'll see, provides a way out of this cul-de-sac. But before we get to the way out of that cul-de-sac, we have to look at the other problem that's addressed here. It's called the problem of scarcity. The problem of scarcity. Okay, quick aside, I do not, in talking about scarcity, I know in a room like this, there's people, you know, that there's really not enough food in the cupboard. There's some stewed tomatoes and some top ramen. And it's like when there's real scarcity like that, it affects our lives in real significant ways. So I do not want to belittle or diminish the fact that scarcity affects our lives. I remember growing up, you know, my family went through seasons of relative scarcity. I mean, it's always relative compared to somebody else. And then there's somebody else that has had it worse. But our family grew up and our family experienced that some of that. I remember reaching in the cupboard and not having a lot of food. And, I, and that affected that affected affected me in significant ways. So I'm not seeking to belittle or diminish scarcity, but what I want to talk about is that there is this problem, just like there's a problem in abundance, there is this problem kind of buried in scarcity. It's interesting, um, you know, when we think about the problem of abundance was seen in the Garden of Eden, where Satan tempted the first pair to reaching after the one thing that they had no need for, but was designated off limits. We also see Satan tempting Jesus when he was in a season of scarcity. Remember in the wilderness, when Jesus is being tempted, he doesn't have shelter, he doesn't have food, he's fasting, and that's where Satan comes to him and tries to lure him away from dependence on God. You see, Temptation will show up in times of abundance and it will show up in times of scarcity because there's always this play to try to manipulate us in whatever situation is. And the the problem looks different in different situations, um, but we have to be aware that there is always this potential to be lured away from God in whatever season we are in. Here's how Jesus describes the problem of scarcity. Verse 29, it says, Do not set your heart on what you will eat and drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. You see, the problem of scarcity is the potential for worry rooted in fixating on what isn't available. It's interesting to me that Jesus turns to the disciples when he's talking about the problem of scarcity. It's almost like he's seeing, he's looking out and he's seeing people with means and this guy that has this relative means. And, and then he turns to the disciples and the disciples are those that, um, you know, have given up a lot to be with Jesus. We can presume that Jesus, they've given up inheritance or potential, uh, you know, connections with family members and resources to follow Jesus in this original 12. And so you can imagine maybe that the 12, like hearing about this guy with the inheritance are a little triggered. They're like, oh, wow, wouldn't it have been nice to have what he has? And so Jesus turns to them and he goes, hey, like, don't worry. Don't spend time worrying. Like, what can you add to your life by worrying? Consider the lilies. And then he goes into this. Don't set your heart on what, like, what the people, what the, what the, what the world runs after. Uh, don't, don't run after the things that the pagan world runs after. These two things, set your heart and run after, are like, this, it's important to kind of hear what Jesus is saying here. You see, the Greek for set your heart, it literally means to set out on a spiritual quest. 
to set out on a quest where you're trying to find meaning, where you're trying to find true purpose. So Jesus is saying, don't make the acquisition or the accumulation or the reaching for something that you don't have your life mission. That's what he's saying here. Don't make your life mission about grabbing after things that you don't have, But because what will happen is it will create unnecessary worry and create anxiety as you're always thinking that I am one acquisition away from being complete. And the same thing is expressed there with a don't run after. Like I have spent a long period of my life being a runner, um, short shorts and all, you know, and I have, no matter what, I've never been able to run in two directions at the same time. Has anyone ever been able to do that? If you have, tell me afterwards. And I'm, I'm very interested. Jesus knows you can only run after one thing at a time. And so he's saying, don't run after this thing. Don't spend your energy all on this thing. Here's what happens is a fixation on what we don't have in times of scarcity causes two, causes two things. First is unneeded worry. Unneeded worry. Sometimes worry is good, actually. Like a grizzly bear is right in front of you, appropriate time to worry, you know? Like, in fact, we're designed by God to worry in some situations like that, and, you know? Snake, I remember on a run one time, I was like running on this single track trail. There were bushes on both sides of me and I heard a rattlesnake. I was very worried, you know? And that's appropriate. That's a necessary worry. That actually helps you live, right? But unneeded worry, unneeded worry is, is fixating on something that you have limited control over or you don't really need. Like you're, you're almost putting like my identities on the line based on this thing. And like times of scarcity, can, 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 we can, we can, when we reach for that one thing that we think we need, that we think we want in times of scarcity, creates this worry dynamic that capitalism just knows how to play into. And all, these, all the companies, they just constantly are seeking to exploit. You need this thing unneeded worry. Fixation on what we don't have causes unneeded worry. But second, it also it creates a dynamic where we're tempted to cut corners. A fixation on what we don't have creates a dynamic where we're tempted to cut corners. Maybe, um, you know, if you're a baseball fan, hello Mariners, let's, let's do this. Um, but uh, if you remember, like the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this um, steroid epidemic within baseball. Everybody like went to the off season. They came back super just like ripped. And you're like, how does, what kind of creatine were you taking, man? You know? Um, but eventually the house of cards collapsed and everything got revealed. And like, what was in that reasoning? Why, why would somebody like try so hard? You know, why would somebody go through this process of risking everything it's because many of them saw stats, home runs, batting average, slugging percentage that was just out of reach. And they had this scarcity mindset that like, like I'm reaching, like if I could just get that, then I would be whole. If I could just get this, then everything would be right. They've set their heart on that thing. They started running after that thing. And in that place where you're, the scarcity mindset creates an ability of fixating on the thing you don't have, thinking that thing will make you who you truly need to be, you'll be tempted to cut corners. It plays out all over life, all the time. Whereas 
Jesus calls us to this, to be not careless, right? This is this tension. To, here's what careless is. Careless is like, yeah, I don't need to worry about anything because I'm living on my friend's couch and he's got plenty of food in his cupboard, you know? We're not called to be careless, but we're called to be carefree. It's an important distinction. To be carefree is to be able to walk in life knowing what you have is plenty. And if you lack something, God is near. And if you walk in community, there are people that will help you. This is what it means to be carefree. Not careless, but carefree. Jesus articulates this when he says in verse 31, seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well, which is a perfect transition to kind of finally the way of freedom. What is the way of freedom? We can find the way of freedom by asking three questions or rather answering three questions. The first is what is life? What is life? Verses 15 and, uh, or verse 15 says this. It says, um, then he said, this is Jesus. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is saying, do you want to know, like, what does life consist of? What, what is life? Like, like what, if you boiled it down to like, what is true life? And Jesus is saying like, it's not the abundance of possessions. Like if you've ever faced something significant, whether it was a severe illness or some type of tragedy that has woven its way or erupted into your life, you know what life consists of. You know, it's the people around you and, and finding ultimate meaning is not found in just accumulating, but it's in the people that are around you and the God that, is, that loves you. You know that. Like think about somebody like towards the end of their life. What do they want? What do they care about? They care about the people that are around them, right? This is Jesus is saying life does not consist in the accumulation of more things. In fact, the word life there, it is the Greek word zoe, which means spiritual life or even eternal life. He goes, do you want to know what true, true, true life is? Life is not, that's, it's not consistent, consists in the things that you can accumulate. It's in like what God has given you, his disposition towards you. That's where true life is found. And then when he talks to the disciples, he says something very similar in verse 22 and 23. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and food, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And that word for life there is psyche, which is where we get our word psychology. So he's saying spiritual life is not found in accumulating. And, and the soul, which is psyche, is not found in just getting and getting. True life is found in relationship to others and in relationship to God. Full stop. Ad infinitum. I think I said it right there. Ad over and over again. That's where life is found in relationship to God and in relationship to others. What is life? That is life. Second question is, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Jesus says to the disciples, he goes, consider the wildflowers. And then he says, consider the birds. And this word consider, it doesn't mean to just casually look. It means to really stare at, to pay attention to, Think about when you have a telescope and you're like got this telescope up and you're, you're zooming in. It means you're looking at one thing at the exclusion of everything else. So Jesus is saying, shift your focus from fixating on the thing that you don't have 
to looking at the birds, to looking at the flowers. And this isn't some kind of like little mindfulness hack, kind of some new age mindfulness hack, like, hey, just stare at a flower long enough and everything will be okay. That's not what Jesus is communicating here. What Jesus is saying here is like, when you take your attention away from what you don't have and you turn your attention to the world around you, you'll see the gracious provision of God all around you. Take note of how, the, how gravity works. It keeps us spinning around in this solar system so everything doesn't come unhinged. Take note of the of the shore and the tides, how it keeps coming in. And God has created a world where you can, you can see consistency written in creation, how flowers come up in spring and the birds have everything they need, how they're able to find their way south and come back. Jesus is saying, look around you and there will be evidence at the gracious provision of God all around you. And he goes, and you're more important than the flowers and the ravens. So know that God sees you. He knows what you need. You don't have to worry about the gap between what you're experiencing and what you really want because God sees what you need. That's what he's communicating. When, you, when your focus is that, you can walk with this carefree disposition. And third question is, who are you thinking about? Who are you thinking about? You see the guy there at the beginning, his, he was fixated on himself. And he was never satisfied. Jesus, what we see is he's trying to get us to think outside of ourselves towards God and towards others. That's what he's constantly wanting to do. And it's interesting in the end that the problem of scarcity and the problem of abundance is very similar. And the answer is very similar. The way of freedom is very similar for both situations be able to know what life really is. Be able to know where your focus should be. And be able to know what's most important to be thinking about. The, what, what do we, who, are we, who, who should we be thinking about? Um, when we answer that question, we, we start to get close to the very heart of Jesus. Because Jesus knew what life was about. They actually, he gave up his life so that others might have life. Jesus knew where to focus. He was focused on his mission to die on our behalf, to give us his riches so that we might be clothed in his royalty and that even at his own expense, he was looking, his, 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 he was thinking about us. He was thinking about you. His, his, his life was about, about his, giving his life and his focus was about, uh, was about giving his life and his, because his, he was thinking about us and when we have that in mind, we have not only the teachings of how to be free but also a person who has walked that way ahead of us and made provision for us. And so the band can come up at this time and those helping with communion and prayer. And, and that ultimately is where we focus every week at Anchor because we think the most important moment in all of history is where God took on flesh and then lived a life among us and then eventually died for us so that we might be brought into relationship with the God who is the creator of all. And when, when we know that, there is this deep soul rest that we can experience. How we know that, 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 that any, like we don't, we're not living in this deficit with regard to God. He has given us his life. And... Uh, that can bring us to a place where we can walk in this carefree disposition in all of life. 
if there's times of abundance or when there's times of scarcity. Um, what we celebrate, what we say at communion stations is this, just these simple words. God, his body given for you. Christ's body or Christ's blood shed for you. This is a picture of the great riches that God has given us in himself towards us. There's prayer stations that are available and we recognize there's people that are in times of abundance and in times of scarcity here or other issues, things that are popping up and all sorts of different prayer opportunities. Hey, don't leave this space without getting the prayer that you need. And there's people that would love to pray for you right there on both sides of the room. And we're gonna sing one more song. And uh, so I'd invite you to stand as you're able now. Um, We're gonna be talking about a lot through this teaching series. but I think it's important just to note right at the top, like this is, this is the heart of all this stuff. So spirit of the living God, come in this place. Help us to see you and to know that you're here. Help us to hear your words to us. We pray something from your word would land in our hearts today. And it would settle and bear fruit. We know that you can do that. Help us to get a glimpse of you in this time of worship. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.